It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Uh, let's get happy, Met fans, as we take a stroll down memory lane on the latest edition of Rico Bronia. We go through some of the greatest off-season Mets trades in the history of the franchise. Key being off-season, since we're in the off-season. Obviously, there have been many great trade deadline deals, legendary trade deadline deals in the history of this franchise. So we're looking at off-season deals. I looked at it this way. Anything that involves the season not occurring. So there's a couple of deals on this list that I made that may be right before opening day. Mets made a couple of deals like that days before opening day. I know that's not technically the offseason, but in the case of this discussion, I included it because where else do those trades go? It's not middle of the season. It's not trade deadline. So put it as an offseason deal. And there's a couple of those. And what's crazy is when you look at the history of the New York Mets, uh, a team that we love, a team that we adore, but a team that doesn't have this great amount of success. You know, think about it. I'm 39 years old. I've never seen the team win a championship. I'm too young for 1986. But yet, there are a lot of great trades in the history of this franchise. But one thing you're going to notice, and I will address this early, a lot of the great trades are before my time. Now, I want to give it credit like we always do whenever we go down memory lane. I won't ignore things that happened before my time. I won't talk about it as in-depth because to me it's just a history lesson. It's not something I experienced. I can't tell you this is how I felt when this happened. I hated this. I love this. I just know about it because my dad taught me about it. And then I learned it because I'm a Met fan. So I do want to pay homage to some of these incredibly amazing trades that happened, specifically the deals that built the 86 Mets. There are so many trades that just built the 1986 Mets that you say, holy crap. How could you say a bad thing about Frank Cashin? As much as some people may want to say bad things about Frank Cashin, it's tough to. He went out and made so many great trades that helped build the 86 team. So we'll address those, and then we'll get to the ones from our era, and we'll create a Mount Rushmore like we always do with bad free agent signings, great free agent signings, which we've done in the past on Rico Brunia. You can obviously check them out in the archives. The greatest free agent signings in Met history, the worst free agent signings in Met history. Uh, let's go to history first. Let's go to the things that occurred before I understood baseball. They actually mostly occurred before I was even born. We'll start things off with the Mets acquiring Tommy Agee uh, for Buddy Booker, who I have no idea who that is, Tommy Davis, Billy Wynn, and Fat Jack Fisher. They did that in the middle of December 1967, and obviously Tommy Agee became basically an icon in Met history and had some great years for the New York Mets. So that's an early, early trade, only five years into their existence. They make a steal of a trade. And it wasn't just Tommy Agee. They also got Al Weiss in that trade. Both guys, obviously, key parts of the 1969 team. About a decade later, they were trading away Jerry Kuzman. Now, Jerry Kuzman's an icon in Met history, now has his number retired. But in dumping him at the end of his career, they acquired a young left-handed pitcher named Jesse Orozco. And Jesse Orozco would have a huge impact as the Mets eventually built themselves back up and became world champions. A reliable left-handed reliever for the New York Mets. Jesse Orozco came back for Jerry Kuzman back as a player to be named later, believe it or not. The initial trade was Jerry Kuzman for Greg Field. That trade was made in December of 1978. And then a few months later... The player to be named later in the trade turned out to be Jesse Orozco. Right before the season in 1982, the Mets traded the former matinee idol Lee Mazzilli, and they got back Ron Darling and Walt Terrell. Not bad, because then, a few years later, in December of 1984, they would trade Walt Terrell to the Detroit Tigers for Howard Johnson. Not bad. But they also would make a trade in December of 1983 in which they dealt away Bob Baylor and Carlos Diaz for El Cid, Sid Fernandez. So they're basically building the 86 rotation. Uh, the best of them all. I think this one may be the best of them all. It was December of 1984, and that's when they traded Hubie Brooks, Mike Fitzgerald, Herm Winningham, and young minor leaguer Floyd Yeomans for Gary Carter. Uh, I have heard... 
a lot of stories about the reaction when they traded for Gary Carter. Beningo's told me his reaction. My dad has told me his reaction. They were acquiring a superstar catcher in the prime of his career. And the, the, um, the response I got from both Beningo and my dad was the stunning nature of what they gave up. They were not scared about what they gave up. They were almost ecstatic. Like, really? They got Gary Carter for that? So as you can see, this 86 team is really coming together. And then, I think it was the final piece of the puzzle, if you will. November of 85, they made a huge trade. And I'm just going to give you the two key, key components of the trade. Calvin Schiraldi to the Red Sox, who Met fans would just taunt as he was trying to close out games in the 86 World Series, and they got back Bob Ojeda. So Bob Ojeda, Sid Fernandez, Ron Darling. Three-fifths, essentially, of the Met rotation built via trades. A couple of other deals post-86, but certainly guys I got to appreciate. Uh, they traded Ed Hearn for David Cohn. There were more players involved, but those are the key guys. Ed Hearn was a catcher who filled in for Gary Carter in 86. They turn around and get a young pitcher named David Cohn who would come out and have a brilliant next five years of his major league career before the Mets traded him away. Uh, it was a big part of the 88 team that got to the seventh game of the NLCS. David Cohn. What a, what a steal that is. And finally, Randy Myers for John Franco. Randy Myers obviously had some pretty good years as a closer, but John Franco became the captain. John Franco was perfect for New York for a little bit over a decade, so they got back John Franco. So those are all those amazing, amazing trades that occurred before I really understood baseball. I, I didn't know it. I got to find out about it, and I'm like, man, I root for a hell of a franchise, don't I? That's what I thought. I'm like, man, Dad, we root for a really well-run team. Look at all these great trades they made. <laughs> and here's what's depressing, Hoff. As we get to the trades of our lifetime, there's no trade that even comes close to some of those trades I've mentioned. Now, I'm talking about off-season trades, obviously. Trade for Mike Piazza, uh, July 31st deal for Joanna Cespedes. It's not as if they haven't had great trades, but in terms of off-season trades, that list I just went over, we don't have a lot of that. In you, our time as a Met fan, yeah, like the like the uh, the Carlos Beltran trade for Zach Wheeler, you can't really you're not going to include that. The guy exactly. that, was, that was during a, during the season, and but Zach Wheeler was a good pitcher, just unfortunately doesn't fit this list. So yeah. I can't even imagine which one which we're talking about here. When we no, trust me, I, I, I went deep. <laughs> <laughs> I went deep to find them to think about them and say, all right, well, were there any good ones? There are some good ones. There really are. Uh, when we do a trade deadline edition of Rico Bronia which we may have done last year. I completely forgot. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of those that may stick out where you say, oh, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. The first one that I, I need to mention, because how can we do this podcast without mentioning this trade? One of the great trades in the history of the franchise. And if you listened to when we had Rico Bronia on, you'll remember I brought it up to Rico. I said, you were traded for Alan Zinter. I don't know if Rico Brown even remembers Alan Zinter, but I do. Alan Zinter was a prospect. He was a first-base prospect. And on March 31st, 1994, the Mets traded him to Detroit for Rico Bronia. And Pete, do we have a podcast if that trade isn't made? It'd be called Jed Larry, maybe. <laughs> It'd be called something else. <laughs> uh, on January 22nd, 1996, and again, take out his eventual contract that he signed. The Mets traded a guy named Judith Omarion. I don't remember him. Eric Heelhoss, I don't remember him. And Eric Ludwig, who I do vaguely remember as a prospect, to the St. Louis Cardinals for Bernard Gilkey. Gilkey had one amazing season as a Met. Uh, his future after that was very bad. They gave him a contract that didn't work out. Go back to the... Uh, old episode we did on bad free agent signings, and you'll hear more on Gilkey. But for one year, for one year, it was a great trade. In December of 1996, this is an all-timer. In all seriousness, this is a big one. This may enter our Mount Rushmore of our era trades. The Mets traded John Olerud, or they acquired John Olerud, from the Toronto Blue Jays for Robert Person. Robert Person was... 
a quality young arm. He was decent. I didn't want to give him away, but the Mets got back John Olerud. And John Olerud would end up having a great 1997, a really good 1998, and of course was the first baseman on the greatest defensive infield of all time, as SI coined him, in 1999. He was a likable guy. Uh, I think he was a very popular Met and was a really good Met for the three years he was here. I wish he re-signed after 99. He didn't. Unfortunately, the Mets had to move on. But when you look at what they gave up and you look at how good John Olerud was, that's that's a tremendous, tremendous trade. Oh, John Olerud, no question. I mean, honestly... The, the funny thing about Olerud is I always admired him from afar when he was not with the Mets. So it's one of those guys when you're young and you're sitting there and watching guys like, oh, I wish he was on my team. And then you hear that he actually gets traded to your team. It's to the roof. But the Olerud thing that really stuck out to me more than anything else is I, I know the reason why he wore it, but the, the helmet he wore on the field always just kind of stuck out to me like, that's cool. I like that. So when that came over to to – Shea Stadium, I was like, all right, this is awesome. Oh, yeah. And and John was, you know, we watched him from afar as a Toronto Blue Jay. And remember, the Blue Jays had such great success in the early 1990s. He was a big part of that team. He had that one year in 1993 in which for a while, I don't know if he was ever really flirting with 400, but he was having an outstanding season, ended up hitting 363, won the batting title. He was one of the better players in baseball, you know, and so – for us, it was an exciting trade because you're getting one of these, you know, stars in baseball in the prime of his career. He was only 28 years old. Um, I, I'm not sure why Toronto moved on from him other than the idea that he just didn't hit for a lot of power. And maybe they looked at him and said, ah, first base a power position. And if he's only going to hit 18 home runs or 15 home runs or 10 home runs a year, he's not worth it. And to me, I, I I always thought that was overrated because if you can get power elsewhere, then why does it matter? And when you look at the Mets, the Mets were a great example of it because before they got Mike Piazza, so take us in that moment of when they traded for John Olerud, Todd Hundley was coming off a year in which he had 41 home runs. He had set the record for most home runs by a catcher. So if you're getting 40 home runs and Okay, it's not 40. Let's say it's 30. You're getting 30 home runs from a position no one tends to get power from. Then you could afford to have a first baseman maybe hit less home runs than you usually think you should get from a first baseman. So the Mets were a great example of it where they were getting power elsewhere. And John came over and, you know, he hit 22 home runs his first year, drove in over 100 runs, hit 22 home runs in 1998. That was the year he hit 354, had an amazing season, and hit 19 home runs the year after that. That's fine. If you're going to hit, you know, first of all, if you're going to have like an 890 OPS, who the hell cares? You know, why the hell does that even matter? And if you're going to have power from catcher, which they had from Todd Hundley and eventually got from Mike Piazza when they made that trade, I thought that whole thing was completely overrated. That is a tremendous trade that was pulled off in December of 1996. I, I'll tell you why they moved away from John Olerud. And it's not a terrible reason. His name, he actually became a Met in the 2000s, uh, was Carlos Delgado. Where it, was he at that point, though? Did they know how good he was? So he was on the team since 93. Uh, he came up for a couple games. 94, 95, he played a little bit here and there. But 96, which is one of Oler's last years with the Toronto Blue Jays, he hit 25 home runs. Ah, And then after that, he just went off. That makes sense. You're right. I'm looking at his numbers now. Like, he was arrived. Or he had arrived. And I think early in his career, Delgado bounced around like he wasn't just an everyday first baseman. He played a little outfield. I think he was a catcher at one point. I don't, I don't know if he caught in the major leagues. He may not have. But, yeah, it makes sense. Okay. <laughs> now, they could have gotten more for John Olerud, but okay, that makes sense because Delgado had a great career and certainly fit the bill of power, that's for sure. Uh, a year later, the Mets made a couple of trades with the Marlins. Both were pretty good. One is an easy good trade. The other one's a little bit more complicated. We'll go with the easy one. In December of 1997, the Mets traded two minor leaguers, who I don't think either guy made it, uh, Fletcher Bates and Scott Comer to the Marlins for Dennis Cook. Really solid trade. Dennis Cook was a big part of that Met bullpen in 98, in 99, in 2000, before they finally traded him away in 2001 
real solid reliever as the Mets were building themselves back up and the Marlins were basically selling that championship team off. And then a few months later, and this one's complicated, so you tell me if it's a good trade or not, Hoff. I think it is, but I could see the other side. The Mets traded three minor leaguers for Al Leiter, and Al had a great career as a Met, was essentially their ace for a bunch of years, but one of the prospects that they traded for Al Leiter was A.J. Burnett, who obviously ended up having a very solid career with the Marlins, with the Blue Jays, with the Yankees, We all love Al, but is that a good trade? Are you okay with that trade, or do you look at it as a negative considering A.J. Burnett had a pretty good career? No, I I think Al Leiter had a great career with the Mets, and and I think that he was one of those guys where... Again, Subway Series, he was around there for that time. I'm not going to look and get upset by the A.J. Burnett stuff because, again... when you talk about prospects, you're in the you're in the now. Was AJ Burnett going to be there to help the Mets at that point in time? I don't think so. Oh, he definitely wasn't, and, and that's that's the reason why to me it's still a great trade because AJ Burnett got called up in 1999. So now you're you're shifting a year and a half later. He was only called up because they're the Marlins. I don't know if the Mets are calling up necessarily a 22 year old pitcher, and AJ Burnett had his ups and downs. In fact, got hurt, I think, in 2003, missed a bunch of time, and the Marlins were able to to be patient with him that the Mets weren't. The Mets' window turned out to be 98, 99, and 2000, and he wouldn't have been a contributor. So, look, could A.J. Burnett have had a 12-year career with the Mets and a very solid career? Sure, it could have happened. Yeah, I think it could have worked in New York, but Al Leiter gave them what they needed at the time. He was the ace in 99, was great in 98. Uh, the ace in 98 was great in 98. Pitched well in 1999. Obviously pitched that uh, one-game playoff past Cincinnati. That shut out one of the best pitch games you'll ever see. I'm going to leave out game six of the NLCS because I like Al. And was a part of that two-headed monster with Mike Hampton in 2000. So, to me, overall, really good trade. But they did give up something. You know, a lot of times we talk about these prospects you trade away, and they don't really pan into anything. So it's easy to say, yeah, what a steal. They did give away a pretty good player in A.J. Burnett. You know, you know, you know the one thing I think about Al Leiter is, especially now, Al Leiter would be such a stud even towards the tail end of his career because he went out there and he might only give you five innings even at the tail end of his career, but he'd battle. He'd freaking, it might be 120 pitches, but he'd go five deep, five, six innings deep and he might get the bases loaded, but he find the way to limit the damage. And and honestly, in today's game, that's what you need. Al Leiter, in his last year with the Mets, he had a statistically good year. Had like a 3-2 ERA, made 30 starts. But the thing I remember about Al that year is he threw 100 pitches in five innings every start. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Every batter was 3-2. Every start his pitch count was high. But yeah, to, to, to his credit, you're right. He went out there and gave him innings. I thought Al was a great Met. I really do. He was here for seven years, and he pitched a lot, and he was clutch for the most part. Uh, I think Al Leiter belongs in the Mets Hall of Fame. So I'm very fond of him, and I'm very fond of that trade they made. This is a very under-the-radar, all-time great trade by the Mets on December 1st, 1998. Now, bear with me because it was technically a three-way trade between the New York Mets the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Baltimore Orioles. I think it may have been a four-way trade, too. No, I think it was just three. I think it was the Dodgers, the Orioles, and the Mets. So All right, I, just, I, know, I know one piece to it already. I, I'm thinking I know one piece to it already. Which piece do you remember? Is it Melvin Mora? No. Damn it. <laughs> you don't have any pieces. Uh, so, it, it, there's a couple of things about this. You have to accept this as an all-time great trade, even if you hear the names at first and say, all-time great trade. I'm only going to give you the guys the Mets gave up and got. There were other guys involved. Like, remember Charles Johnson? Really catcher. good defensive catcher. Yeah. He was actually in this trade. He was technically a Met for about 30 seconds. But he's not important. So we're going to go with the guys the Mets got and the guys the Mets gave up. The Mets gave up one player from their major league roster. His name was Todd Hundley. Now, remember where they were in December of 1998. Todd Hundley broke the all-time single-season catching record in 96. He was great. Face of the team. 1997, he gets hurt towards the end of the season, plays injured. 
productive, not as good as 96, but he gets injured. So injured, he's out for the beginning of 1998. The Mets have no offense. The Mets trade for Mike Piazza. Oh, no, what do we do with Todd Hundley? They end up putting Todd Hundley in the outfield when he comes back. That turns out to be a disaster, and it just doesn't work. And so the Mets go into an offseason in which everybody knows they have to trade Todd Hundley. There's no other option. There's no playing him at first base. They have John Olrude. The outfield experiment was a failure, and you're not keeping him as a backup catcher. And there's no DH. So what are you going to do? So the entire world knows the Mets have to trade Todd Hundley. So they trade Todd Hundley, and they got back two players, one guy from the Orioles, one guy from the Dodgers. The guy they got back from the Dodgers was a young outfielder named Roger Cedeno. Now, there are two Roger Cedenos, ladies and gentlemen. There's the guy they signed in free agency, who if you heard the podcast a while back, I put on the Mount Rushmore of worst free agent signings in the history of the Mets. That's not this Roger Cedeno. This Roger Cedeno set the record for most stolen bases in the season with 66 and hit over 300. He was great. Roger Cedeno was one player, so worked out great. Was only with the Mets for one year before they traded him. More on that later. And he was fine. The other guy they got back, hold your nose for a second. This guy was one of the great regular season closers in the history of the Mets. Armando Benitez. And as much as you may hate Armando, and I don't like Armando either, we can't ignore what the guy did for the New York Mets during the regular season. Armando Benitez was a damn good reliever. He comes over in 1998. He pitches as really the middleman for John Franco. I think he eventually takes over as closer and pitches to a 1.85 ERA. What up? Freaking fantastic. 2000, 41 saves, 2.6 ERA. 2001, 43 saves. 2002, pitches to a 2.27 ERA, saves 33 games. His med career finally ends in 2003. He was good. And they got him for Todd Hundley, who the entire world knew they were going to trade. That's a damn good trade-off when you really think about it. It's actually impressive. And again, like for all the bad things that we thought about Armando Benitez, which there's tons of bad stuff with him, it was weird because for the most part, he actually was really good. It wasn't in clutch spots. That's the problem. No, no, and I, I admit that. I mean, Armando Benitez is one of those guys who despite career numbers that you have to have respect for, you have to look at and say, okay, the guy saved 160 games as a Met. Guy had a 270 ERA as a Met. Guy was a good Met. He would get booed if he ever walked back in that building. And he would get booed because we think of a lot of postseason events, specifically game one of the 2000 World Series. Uh, one game that jumps out at me, even though they won the game, was game two of the NLDS in 2000 against the Giants when he gave up that home run to J.T. Snow. Now, luckily, the Mets came back. They won the game. John Franco struck out Barry Bonds. But Armando Benitez was what he was, which was a terrible, terrible postseason pitcher. And I'm not expecting any Met fan to look past that. But when you think about that trade, especially a guy that the whole world knows you have to deal, and you got Roger Cedeno and Armando Benitez back for Todd Hundley, uh, I thought that was a really, really good trade. Now, speaking of Roger Cedeno, (laughs) let's jump a year. Because a little bit over a year later, a few days before Christmas 1999, The Mets made a monstrous splash. They traded for Mike Hampton. Mike Hampton was coming off of a really, really good season with the Houston Astros a year earlier. You're talking about a Met team in 1999 that came so close to getting to the World Series, and now they trade for a 26-year-old lefty who went 22-4 and with a 2-9 ERA and finished second in the Cy Young voting. So you're viewing this guy not just as wow, this could be the last piece of the puzzle, but you're acquiring a guy who's 27 years old, prime of his career. This guy could be in the pantheon of great pitchers in the history of the Mets, assuming he stays and assuming he even comes close to matching not only what he did in 99, but even what he was building before that. You look at his career resume with the Astros before that was a real solid rotation arm. 
And look, Mike Hampton was a good Met for the year he was here. He got off to a rocky start. He had a lot of control issues early on, but ultimately made 33 starts through 217 innings, had a 3-1-4 ERA, won 15 games. He was a good Met. He also authored an all-time great postseason performance in 2000, shutting out the Cardinals in Game 5 to win the pennant. He's a part of that lasting image when Timo Perez is jumping in the air and Mike Hampton's being carried, and he you know, goes out and obviously wins the NLCS MVP. So Mike Hampton for one year was a very, very good Met. They got him and Derek Bell, who had one good month as a Met. Very different. <laughs> I mean, literally, tore the cover off the ball for a month and then disappeared, and they got those two guys for Roger Cedeno and Octavio Dotel. Dotel ended up having a real solid major league career as a reliever. Cedeno did nothing because he would end up coming back a few years later and sucking a lot. So trading Cedeno, not a problem. Dotel's a solid reliever. They got back a guy who won the NLCS MVP and helped the Mets get to the World Series. I'd argue they don't go to the World Series if they don't make that trade. Unfortunately, they didn't re-sign him, which I don't know if it's fortunate or not. I'm not sure what he would have done with the Mets. He goes to Colorado. He's terrible. It's Colorado. So maybe that's what kind of did it to him. He re-signs with the Mets at 28 years old. What is he for the next five years before he got hurt? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a good question. I I really don't know. I don't know what Mike Campton would have been. I don't know if it changes the Mets' fortunes from 2001 on when they go into the doldrums. It's one of those what-ifs that I have a tough time figuring out. But for the one year that he was here, you got to admit, it worked. It was a damn good trade, and it almost worked all the way because they did get to the World Series even though they couldn't win it. Yeah, no, he was a good addition, and I, I'm not going to knock it. Uh, I ended sourly with him leaving, and I think that rubbed people the, the wrong way. His excuse was terrible, but you know, but for the most part, the trade was right. No doubt. No doubt about it. I mean, Octavio Dotel is one of those guys where he had a good major league career. He had a good major league career, but he never turned out to be what we feared he would turn out to be when the Mets traded him. Because Dotel looked like a mini Pedro, and that's the ultimate compliment, but there was those hopes that he could be that good, and it never turned out to be. He turned out to be a very serviceable relief pitcher throughout his career. Derek Bell, real quick. I want to point this out about Bell because I'll never forget it. Derek Bell in April of 2000, after they acquired him, hit 385 with a 1,000 OPS. You couldn't get him out. Plus, his walk-up music was big pimping, which was tremendous. After that, Derek Bell was awful to the point where he just disappeared. He didn't exist by October. He was out of any kind of playoff lineup. I think he was hurt, or maybe he was just terrible. So Derek Bell in this trade was really, really good for a month. And it all went to the craps. But overall, pretty good trade back in December of 1999. Uh, This is a minor one, but I wanted to point it out. The Mets acquired Jesse Orozco during the offseason of going into 2000. And I thought that was cool. It would have been nice to have Jesse Orozco in the bullpen. And before opening day, during spring training, they traded Jesse Orozco, who at the time was in his mid-40s, for Joe McEwing. Good trade. Not going to put it on any Mount Rushmore, but I wanted to give it some love because Joe McEwing was a very popular Met. He owned Randy Johnson. He had some very good moments with the Mets. Not a bad deal. Jesse Orozco for Joe McEwing. You mentioned Delgado earlier. Carlos Delgado as a very solid reason for why the Toronto Blue Jays decided to move on from John Olerud. Well, the Mets tried to get Carlos Delgado as a free agent going into the 2005 season, and they failed. They couldn't pull it off. The following offseason, the Marlins did what the Marlins do, which is they took a guy they just signed and they decided to trade him away. The Mets got him for three players. Number one, Mike Jacobs, whatever. Number two, Grant Somas. And number three, and I, I, I got to tell you, bro, I find this one funny because I'm pretty sure that this third guy in the Delgado trade has been on your fantasy team. He has certainly been on my fantasy team. He ended up having an incredibly long major league career. He pitched all the way up until 2021. I'm not even sure where he was in 2022, but he could still pitch. And that was Yesmermo Petit. 
Oh, my God. Really? Yes. You definitely had him on your fantasy. Oh, my right? God. Yes, of course, because he's a bull, He's a fantastic bullpen arm. He comes out. He Well, he's he made some starts, too. It's, it's not just all about bullpen. But, yeah, no, I've, uh, a very solid career. Lower-level Octavio Dotel. Let's put it that way. Because yeah. because he's bounced around from team to team, he has some really good seasons, has some really you know mediocre seasons, and he's okay. I remember him as a prospect when the Mets traded him, and it was one of those things where it's of course you got to trade him. You know you have a you have a chance to get Carlos Delgado. You're not going to let a prospect stand in the way, and he was a starting pitching prospect at the time. I didn't think much of it, but it is amazing that up until this past season where he was with the Padres. I don't think he pitched in the major leagues, was bouncing around the minors, but really had a solid major league career. No regrets. Delgado was a very good Met, was very productive, was a big part of that team in 2006. But it's not like any of those three guys turned into a superstar. That's the thing you fear when you trade prospects. But certainly a very serviceable major league player and a very good trade. Uh, About a month later, actually less than a month later, a few weeks later, they made another trade with their minor league team known as the Marlins. They acquired Paul LaDuca for Gabby Hernandez and Dante Brinkley. Another good trade. LaDuca, really for 2006, kind of fell off in 2007, but had a real good uh, season for them in 06. Batted second a lot during that year. Had a big walk right before Beltron struck out in Game 7 at the NLCS. I always think of that walk. It was a great at-bat. We'd be talking about it in legendary terms if Beltron ropes went up the alley. Underrated trade a year later. January of 06, the Mets traded Anna and Chris Benson to the Baltimore Orioles. The key to the trade at the time was Jorge Julio, a very lousy relief pitcher. But the other guy they got back is John Main. And John Main, again, think about what he did in 2006. Think about what he did in 2007. Had that brilliant near-no-hitter at the close of the 2007 season, John Main put together really, I'd say, two and a half to three good years as a New York Met. Unfortunately, he fell off the face of the earth at 29 years old in 2010. But considering what they gave up, Chris Benson, considering that he had not accomplished much in the major leagues before they acquired him, John Main, real good Met, big part of the 06 team, had a solid season in 2007, very, very solid trade. Yeah, and one thing I just want to go back to Delgado and and the uh, Laduca stuff too, because these three guys are very much heavy in my heart as far as the 2006 team, um, and just that it was a, it, that team I enjoyed more than anybody else. I think I think the 2006. I know that's why I think I really wanted to see them win a World Series. But it's funny because first of all, Delgado, like you said. They tried hard the year before to bring him over, so hard that he actually said, you know what, I'm going to go to the Marlins. I'm not going to sign with you guys, because I think it was either Omar Manaya or Pedro that were like pushing the whole, if I'm correct, they were pushing the Dominican side thing. Like They're, they're, they're trying to make it a very like uh, Spanish or, or something. They were trying to push that that... Latino vibe, and he wasn't feeling it, so he went to Miami. So then they decided to say, you know what? That's fine. Go away. We're going to trade for you anyway. You have no choice now to come to us. That that was the first thing. There there were rumors that Tony Bernazard, who ended up uh, leaving the organization in disgrace, I think when he ripped his shirt off and challenged minor leaguers to fights, there were rumors that Bernazard was a part of what turned Delgado off in the negotiations. I, I don't know if Carlos has ever clarified what the heck actually happened but there were rumors about that specifically, that Bernazard was kind of a turnoff to Delgado with how he was pitching him signing with the Mets. And look, it turned out not to matter because, like you said, he goes signs with the Marlins, has a meaningless 2005, and the Mets trade for him anyway. Exactly. And I think Delgado, we had Delgado on a few years ago during the pandemic, Joe and I. I don't, I may have asked him about that. I don't remember his response. The only thing, I, the, the vibe I got from him is that he liked being a Met. That he looked back at his Met tenure, you know, with a smile. Like, he didn't look back at it in any kind of bitter way, especially despite the way it ended. But, yeah, there were weird issues on why Delgado didn't initially sign with the team in 2005. And I'm curious to see, did you ever ask him why he put away his book so soon? Because that was the whole thing about Carlos Delgado was he had this book that he used to just track every single pitcher and every single pitch. And then all of a sudden, the last year or two with the Mets, he just got rid of it. 
I don't remember. I got to go back and listen to it. Uh, and then the other thing is, <laughs> when it comes to Paul Laduca, there is one play in mind that sticks out like a sore thumb. Not sore thumb, but great thumb. What Do you know what it would be? My guess would be the double play, play at the plate in game one against the Dodgers in 06. Yes, 100%. That, that, that was it? That, that made my day, yes. That, that was, I was working at K-Rock at the time, and I remember being at the office. I think it was a day. I'm pretty sure it was a day game. It was. Yes. And I just remember being at the office, watching that game, and like fist pumping through the freaking studios, just going crazy about that game. Yeah, that was incredible. That was a, an incredible moment. That was when you think back to that divisional series. The Mets swept the Dodgers that year in 2006. That's the biggest memory of that series. I don't think there's anything else from that series that jumps out at you. It's it's sort of a forgettable postseason series only because the Mets won very easily like there isn't that much to remember from it and that's the image I take away from that series the play at the plate Sean Green to Paul LaDuca and he tags two guys out at the plate (laughs) it was crazy uh tell me if you consider this a real good one Carlos Gomez Philip Umber Dielos Guerrera for Johan Santana do we pleased with it I mean Johan gives you the no hitter he had some good years with the Mets it feels like his tenure here was underwhelming, that we probably expected more. Obviously, Gomez ended up having a good career. Umber, not really. Philip Umber pitched a perfect game, but outside of that, there's really not that much to write home from. He was a good Met. I mean, Santana wasn't a bad Met. Santana was never bad, is what I would tell people, other than his last year after the no-hitter when he struggled. But before that, in 2008, he was amazing. In 2009, when he pitched, he was really good. In 2010, he was really good. Uh, he didn't pitch an 11. And then, obviously, 12 is the year he had the no-hitter and then fell off the map. I would say that was a really good trade still, even despite it not living up to expectations. Right? No, the, the Johan Santana's a great trade. Again, they, went, they saw 2007. They had one major flaw. They didn't have an ace to go to in game 162. The problem is you can't predict... Uh, your rotation for and and how you're going to collapse and then when you're going to need the, the, your your ace pitcher to, to to be on the mound and again it was another collapse they didn't have enough depth and the pitching staff I'm sorry I mean hello Oliver Perez and uh, you know John Main was it was John did John Main even pitch as well that year I don't remember if 2008 was another good year for him but Johan Santana came out and did exactly what we needed him to do unfortunately it wasn't game 162 it was game 161. Yeah, yeah, he was he was a good man. I think that we expected bigger things, but it wasn't necessarily his fault, like you said. I mean, he, three days rest, torn meniscus, game 161. Pitches the game of his life. Pitches this incredible game. And if they go out and win game 162, even though he's pitching with a torn meniscus, who knows what happens. Maybe Johan Santana helps kind of guide the Mets through a deep postseason run in 2008. I think the combination that, Gomez was a good player. He was not a great player. And that Santana was mostly good. And when Santana pitched, he was good. What's amazing, and I don't know if people would guess this, his career ERA was lower with the Mets than it was with the Twins. And I don't know if a lot of people would guess that considering how good he was with Minnesota. I mean, the guy won two Cy Youngs with the Minnesota Twins. You think of him more as a twin in terms of his dominance and success than you do as a Met. And yet, it's very close, by the way. It's not like it's by a lot. But he actually had a slightly better ERA with the Mets than he did the Minnesota Twins. This trade, I think if I brought this up three years ago, we're talking about it as an all-timer. But now, I'm not sure what you think of it. And that, of course, is R.A. Dickey, Josh Tolley, and Mike Nickius to the Toronto Blue Jays for minor leaguer Wilmer Becerra, John Buck, and then, of course, Travis Darno and Noah Syndergaard. How do you view that trade now? Uh, I still think it's an amazing trade. I think for what R.A. Dickey was, what he turned out to be, and to even at the time, like, you know, you think about it, at that moment, you're getting back this, you know, we're, we're trying to make a play for... Uh, just catcher Travis Darno and throw in Noah Syndergaard. Throw in Noah Syndergaard. Why not? And Noah Syndergaard turns out to be 
at that time in 2015, 2016, this stud of a pitcher. I know he's a jerk. I know that we don't like him. He he doesn't like us. But if you take away the emotions of it, Noah Syndergaard is still a fairly decent pitcher. And Travis Darnot won a World Series. He turned into the exact person that the, the Mets traded for after he left the Mets. He turned into that catcher. That doesn't help us, though. No, it doesn't. He sucked for us. But overall, you think about you actually traded an old aging knuckleballer who was never going to do what he did for the Mets with the Blue Jays, and you traded for two guys who are they've both played in World Series since they left the Mets. Yeah. Well, no. For, forget about what they've done since then. Here's the way I would judge it: What did they do for the Mets? And the answer to that is enough. They did a lot. I mean, Travis Storno, when he played in 2015, was actually a productive player. Noah Syndergaard was a huge part of that 2015 team. He was the one starting pitcher who got an effing win in the World Series. He was the one who gave the whole, all right, I'll meet you, uh, you know, whatever that was, 60 feet, 6 inches, whatever the line was. Um, So it was a steal. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Despite what we think of Syndergaard now, Despite what we think of Travis Darno now, despite Darno being elsewhere, despite Syndergaard being elsewhere, you nailed it. They traded an aging knuckleballer for that. And it's an absolute no-brainer, slam-dunk, all-time trade. I think, obviously, if Syndergaard stuck around, if Darno stuck around, then we're talking about epic proportions for the trade. Then we're talking, this trade goes into the Hall of Fame kind of thing. This is the trade that you talk about to your grandkids. I don't know if it enters that territory because of the way it ended with Syndergaard and the way it ended with Darno, but in terms of what they did in 2015, uh, great trade, a great trade. And it was one of those moments where you knew they had to do it. Like, I liked R.A. Dickey. We all enjoyed watching him have that tremendous 2012 season, have that 21 season, have that Cy Young. Everything about it was great, but we also knew they got to max out on this. I'm always a believer that you got to trade guys when their value is high, but a lot of times it's tough to figure out who you should do that with. You know, a guy's value could be high, but if you love the guy and you want the guy on your team, you shouldn't trade him when their value is high. Uh, I'm a big Jacob DeGrom guy, right? In 2018, when he put it all together, and had his first Cy Young year, you could easily have said, well, trade him. His value's high. Well, yeah, but then he ended up winning another Cy Young. So it's tough sometimes to to decide when to trade a guy when his value's high. But in R.A. Dickey's case, it was obvious. He was a knuckleballer. He was old. They had to do it. And boy, did they ever. They did it in grand, grand fashion. Uh, Sandy Alderson made a bunch of good trades as GM of the New York Mets, a bunch of really good trades as GM of the New York Mets, quite frankly. And that one was a big one. That was a big one. And I, I, I recall getting angry with John Feinstein, who did a CBS sports minute in which he ripped the will ponds. This was a rare case off. I had to defend them. He ripped the will ponds for trading the beloved R.A. Dickey. And I I cut off the sports minute. I turned my mic on and said, I don't want this man ever talking about the New York Mets ever again on our radio station. This guy don't know what he's talking about. This has nothing to do with the Wilpons being cheap. This has to do with being smart about a guy coming off a career season. Now, was there some cheapness involved in that the Wilpons didn't want to pay him? There's always cheapness involved. But if you're smart, you trade him. And I, I, he also referred to Noah Syndergaard as a bag of balls. That also bothered me. The Mets traded a Cy Young Award winner for a catching prospect and a bag of balls. And I'm a bag of balls. Stop talking baseball and stop talking Mets on our radio station then. If you're that ill-informed, uninformed, whatever the freaking term is. Let me just say something. You you nailed it. Uh, as far as Sandy also, listen, Will Ponza, everything was always cheap, which is why Jason Bay was signed, which is why uh, we can go down the laundry list of, of, of P 
people that they chose to go for rather than make a move for somewhere else. Why they sat there with Luis Castillo rather than went, listen, Orlando Hudson was never the best second baseman, but the guy wanted to come and play here. We couldn't have him play here because Luis Castillo was just eating up a crappy second base. But the point is, is that Sandy Alderson, the one thing I will always give him credit for with his first tenure, uh, for the most part, he was able to, to manipulate these moves. I mean, listen, you think about what Carlos Beltran turned into Zach Wheeler, that R.A. Dickey turned into Noah Syndergaard and, and Travis Darno. He traded away pieces, aging pieces, for what turned into was, was a World Series team. Yep, no doubt. It's crazy to think about. He did. He absolutely did. And finally, in this trade, the jury is still out on, but I do want to bring it up because I think enough has happened for a lot of us to say this is an all-timer. But again, there is still a lot that can happen with this. And that, of course, is the trade that was made on December 3rd, 2018, about four, a little over four years ago when the Mets acquired Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano for Jay Bruce, Anthony Swarsak, Gerson Batista, Justin Dunn, and Jared Kelnick. Uh, the jury's out on Cano, on Bruce, on Swarsak, and Batista, for the most part with Dunn, to a degree. Jared Kelnick, we still don't know. The, the It doesn't look like he's going to be a star. I mean, he's not off to a, a star start in his major league career. And, and I think that was always the big fear that Mets fans had, the fear that, Jared Kelnick could turn out to be one of the best players in baseball. He is still only 23 years old, but when he's played, he's at 168, you know, which is not good. And he's had 500 career at bats. There comes a point, no matter how young you are, where you just start to wonder, is this guy going to turn into anything? And then obviously on the other side, Edwin Diaz, he began his Met career. His first season as a Met was not very good. He got better in 2020, shorter season, was better in 2021, and then obviously put together a great, great season in 2022. And that's not it. He re-signed right out of the gate during this offseason. And so the Edwin Diaz story is not done. Our view on Edwin Diaz could get even better. Our view on Edwin Diaz can get worse. Now, that's obviously on the table. He just signed a massive, massive contract. I don't know what we're going to say about Edwin Diaz two years from now. And I also don't know what we're going to say about Jared Kelnick two years from now. But as of right now, we are four years removed from this trade. It's great. <laughs> I mean, right now, it is a great, great, great trade by Brody Van Wagenen. They would have been terrible. It would have been awful, atrocious, if it wasn't for Steve Cohen. Because I think that Cano would have been lingering around a little bit longer this year, and that would have been terrible. Um, so I think for Steve Cohen coming in and able to take charge of the situation and say, we're going to, we're, we're playing different games. For mistakes that we've made, we're going to move on from them. I think that takes a little bit more of the pain away. Obviously, if you just take it for Cano, uh, if you just take it for Edwin Diaz for, for Kelnick, yeah, it's, 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 it's an amazing trade. It's an amazing trade. Uh, but the money issue hindered us and 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 caused us to to tiptoe through life for a few more years, which always annoys Mets fans. Yeah, no doubt. I think right now, though, that's all that's left. I mean, all that's left in judging this trade, whether it gets even better as a Mets fan or it gets turns the other way, is Edwin Diaz and Jared Kelnick. To a degree, Justin Dunn, too. But that's what's going to determine it. The Robbie Cano thing is dead now. It's over. Yeah, for a, a, an early part of this trade, we viewed it Robinson Cano, and we viewed his contract, and we viewed his steroid suspensions, and we viewed his lack of production. But now it's about Edwin Diaz. It's about Jared Kelnick. And four years after the trade, it turns out to be great. I can't put it yet on my Mount Rushmore that I'm about to create because of the TBA factor, the fact that there is still thing, there are things that can change. I don't think I'm ever going to turn around and hate the trade at this point because Edwin Diaz has already given you enough production. Even if it turns bad for Edwin Diaz, I don't think you can just ignore how great he was in 2022. You just can't delete that. Obviously, Jared Kelnick becomes Mike Trout. That's not going to look good. So I'm going to leave it off my Mount Rushmore. And again, at the top of this podcast, we included all the trades prior to our understanding as Met fans. 
I'm not including it only because I didn't have emotions at the time, but I do pay tribute to trading for Tommy Agee, for Jesse Orozco, for trading for Ron Darling, Howard Johnson, El Cid, obviously the Gary Carter trade, which may be the best of all time, the David Cohn trade, the Bob Ojeda trade, um, the John Franco trade. I'm not including it only because for the Mount Rushmore I'm building, I'm just giving you the emotions I had at the time and that I have now. Those are before my time. So here are my four. The trade for Armando Benitez. You're damn right I'm doing it because Armando Benitez was here and he was good and he was the closer and Roger Cedeno had a damn good year and remember all the Mets gave up was a guy everyone knew they had to trade in Todd Hundley. Trade number two, Carlos Delgado. Yes, Yosemro Petit had a fine major league career, but come on. Carlos Delgado in the middle of that lineup in 2006. Mm -mm -mm. Carlos Delgado trade number two. Number three, the Mike Hampton trade. Look, Octavio Dotel had a very nice career. Roger Cedeno didn't. He came back and bit our ass. But Mike Hampton, for the one year he was here, forget free agency, forget the school systems. For the one year he was here, he was the ace we needed. Until game two of the World Series. That we leave out. But NLCS MVP. Through over 200 innings, he was damn, damn good for the one year he was here. And I don't think the Mets get to a World Series without him. And finally, John Olerud for Robert Person. That's a damn good trade, too. Got three great years out of Olerud. I wish it was more. He was a beloved Met. That's my Mount Rushmore of off-season trades in my lifetime. Off. All right, so I, I love it. It's a great list. It's a fantastic list. I, I can't go exactly like you, but I think John Olerud's a no-brainer. I think that that we've easily said that. Is it possible, because I don't know why I connect these two so much, is it possible to have like Carlos Delgado and the Paul LaDuca trade together, or no? Is that No, they can't split. It's separate trades, man. Uh, it feels Look, that, like the same, because it wasn't like a week later. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the Al Leiter Dennis Cook thing. I mean, it was an offseason in which the Marlins kept feeding the Mets talent. And by the way, Al Leiter, leaving that trade off kills me. But, you know, maybe I should. Maybe I should put that over No, 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 no. You, you, you leave it off because I'm putting him on mine. Oh, so I have right. Al Leiter. So we go. We, we kind of. <laughs> We kind of finagle that way. So, okay, so I got John Olerud, Carlos Delgado, Al Leiter, and then uh, it's tough because I do think the R.A. Dickey trade is that good. Like, if you think about it overall, right. where it led us was was amazing. And that's the thing. Is I'm having a tough time because I, I uh, it's between that and Johan Santana. I think that Johan Santana was just as important of a trade, even though it didn't lead to the right places, it was important. But I think because of that, I have to go R.A. Dickey. All right, fair enough. I mean, there's some good ones. No doubt about it. It's not easy. I do regret now not having the Outlider trade up there. It's your fault. <laughs> I know. Hey, listen, this is my first reaction. I've got to stick with it. Any comments, thoughts, things to argue with, you can always tweet us or email us, thericob at gmail.com, thericob at gmail.com. Thank you for taking that walk down memory lane on Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.